morning. Our reading is uh, Luke chapter 12, verses 49 to uh, Luke chapter 13, verses 9. Um, and yeah, the Bible's at the back if anyone wants to read along. Um, I was actually encouraged this week by the start of the Bible. It says, why read the Bible? Um, so I'll just share a couple of um, lines from that. So what you have in your hand right now is a supernatural book. The words of this book, the Bible, are not merely human words. Instead, these are God's own words, his own personal revelation of himself to us. Here in the Bible, we encounter God and come to know his amazing love for us. So let's turn to the passage now, and starting at verse 49 of chapter 12. I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. There will be divided father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right as you go with your accuser before the magistrate make an effort to settle with him on the way lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer put you in prison i tell you you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny there was some There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Were those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree 
and I have found none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit until next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that we can read it together. What, what a delight that is. And um, we pray now for Chad as he comes to explain this to us. And we just pray again for your spirit to be upon him and upon us as we listen to you. Amen. Thank you, Duncan, for reading that. Um, just get Good morning, everyone. This is a bit different to be up here doing this, but um, it really is a privilege to be speaking um, this morning um, for you guys, for our church family, so I actually am really grateful. Um, and I pray that you will be as blessed by this word um, as much as I have been this week through it. So... Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Chad. I'm one of the elders here at Village South. And this morning we're continuing our series in the book of Luke. So bear in mind that we are in the third part of our time looking at the book of Luke. And this is where Jesus' journey into Jerusalem. Last week, as Andrew was speaking, we were looking at verses 34 to 35. And we saw that we must be waiting, watchful and wise as we prepare for the return of Jesus. <clears throat> so we should ask ourselves, do we live in a state of joyful expectation or are we asleep and dormant to the reality of his return? Verses 45 to 48 finish with a warning that those who disobey Jesus will be held accountable. There will be eternal judgment for those who do not prepare and are not ready. And this leads us on to looking at how God's eternal judgment has come. So as we continue through the gospel of Luke, we're bearing in mind that it will culminate in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if we are to get ready for Jesus coming again, we need to look at the purpose of his mission and ministry and his part in God's plan of salvation. The most important part of your readiness will be repentance. The most important part of your readiness is repentance. And the passage that we will look at today that Duncan has read for us will show us that. So I'm just going to take a second to pray as we come to listen and receive what God is to reveal to us this morning. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we come to look at your word, to listen to what you have to say and speak to us, we are reminded that these are your words. This is coming from your authority, Father. Um, so I just pray that as we listen, as we hear, God give us hearts ready to receive. Thank you for your word that it is precious and that it is true. And let it shape and change us as we learn from this this morning. In your son's precious name, amen. So, if someone asked you what Jesus came into the world to do, what would your answer be? If someone asked you what Jesus came into the world to do, what would you say? If you were to select a random person on the street, you might hear answers like, Jesus was a spiritual leader who came to share a message of sacrificial love, of peace and redemption. He came to unite people. He came to make the world a better, more enlightened place through his teachings. He came to spread forgiveness and acceptance. You may hear a debate of whether or not actually his existence was even ever real, or that nothing he said was true. In fact, Jesus was insane. 
So if you ask that same question after reading this passage, what did Jesus come into the world to do? The answer is pretty clear. Jesus came to divide it. And why will he divide it? Because in Jesus, God's judgment has come. In Jesus, God's judgment has come. What we will see this morning is that Jesus came to this world with a message, a call to respond and to repent, and that if we ignore this, there will be eternal consequences. So in Jesus, God's judgment has come, and we see that it is divisive. If you look again at verse 49, Jesus said, I came to cast fire on the earth and wood that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. What does it mean that Jesus came to cast fire? What we see is actually that this is a fire, a refining fire of judgment. And we've already seen this when we looked at Luke chapter 3. John the Baptist's words, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So Jesus says, I came to cast a fire. He brings a fire of judgment that will divide and separate the wheat and the chaff, the believer and the unbeliever. And the very nature of flames is that they immediately create a separation. You can only be on one side or the other. And we are all subject to that fire of judgment because we are all sinners, each one of us here today. And Jesus does not bring this serious message without first acknowledging that he himself must go through his own suffering. As it says, Christ has a baptism to be baptized with, meaning that he himself would have to suffer and die on the cross to have God's judgment poured out on him instead of us so that we could have eternal life as sons and daughters of God. And through the Bible we see how water has also represented judgment. You'll see these verses on the screen. Look at Noah and the flood in Genesis chapter 6. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on earth shall die. And in Jonah's prayer he states, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and billows passed over me. This baptism was God's judgment of sin through Jesus. So his baptism was God's judgment of sin through Jesus. And it's not as if Jesus lived out his purpose on earth and his mission pragmatically or indifferently with no urgency and no passion. He tells us at the end of verse 50 that he is distressed until it is accomplished. I don't know about you, but if you've ever experienced true distress, the kind where you're consumed by the subject of your burden, where you cannot sleep, where you cannot rest, where your body is physically anguished until there is, no, until there is a resolution. Jesus was distressed because he knew what awaited him, that he had to be submerged in our sins, suffer because of our iniquities, and he longed for this to be over. He longed to see God's salvation plan accomplished so that we could be reconciled and made right with God. His distress was out of love for us. And the only people that I can say in my life who have ever been truly distressed for me are those that truly and deeply love me. I'm sure the same is probably true for you as well. And we can also see from these verses, 51 to 53, 
that this judgment of our sins, this refining fire, will cause division. Jesus came with a message of judgment that will bring division. There will be believers on one side and unbelievers on the other. There is no doubt from God's word that division is to be expected. We should not be surprised that division will occur because of this message. Verse 52 and 53 show us that division is costly. It can even occur with those we love the most. And a lot of us will likely feel the weight of that within our own families, with friendships and relationships, within our homes, our workplaces, the places that we live, on our streets with our neighbours. There is a cost to this division to those who follow Jesus. And we may get different responses because of our choice to follow Jesus, some of apathy, some of curiosity, but a lot of the time it may be that of animosity and rejection. That division, this division will be challenging. And at times we can be tempted to compromise what we believe or how we live for God in order to keep peace and maintain relationships. First, let me implore you and encourage you to remain steadfast and endure For we worship and serve a God who is abundant in steadfast love. So when those times are difficult, you know that the God that you serve is abundant in steadfast love. And not only that, you have brothers and sisters who love you. In Matthew chapter 12, 46 to 50, Jesus is asked, who are his family? While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. The people in this church are your family. These are your brothers and sisters, and we have been called to love one another. So take comfort and joy in this. Remember that the cost of rejecting Jesus will always outweigh by far, the cost of rejection by others. But the good news is, is that the joy and the peace and the satisfaction that will come with following him will far outweigh anything that this world can offer us now. Luke chapter 9, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. To be reconciled to God through Christ means we have, as Paul writes in Corinthians, the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison to look forward to. So this judgment is divisive, and the next three verses show us that this judgment is upon us. In verses 54 and 56, Jesus states to the crowd that they have the clear ability to interpret the weather. So if they see the clouds coming from the west, from the Mediterranean, they know that it means rain. They see it and it happens. And when they see the wind from the south off of the desert, they know that it means there will be heat. They see it and it happens. And in this country, we're obsessed with the weather, bearing in mind how bad a week of weather we've had. Not only is it the reigning topic of small talk, but we can track it on our phones, TVs, radios, computers. We have meteorologists who work 24 hours around the clock to tell us what the weather is. We use satellites and supercomputers all so that we can know exactly where the rain clouds in our local area will be and how they will move up to every 15 minutes down to how much rainfall there will be to the half a millimetre. I don't know about you, I don't even care about the half a millimetre of rain. 
So we know exactly what is going to happen and when for the most part. And why I'm saying this is what this means is you don't have to be observant. The weather is easy to read and the forecasts are all around us. Jesus uses this illustration of weather to emphasize the significance of the lack of observation by these people to who he is and the evidence of what his mission means. And he calls them hypocrites. And if you've ever been called a hypocrite, it's pretty startling and sobering word to hear from the mouth of someone else. Here, these hypocrites are ignorant. They are blinded to the obvious. How can they have not seen from Jesus' life and ministry that judgment of their sin is upon them? They have the ability to discern what is obvious and what couldn't have been more obvious at this time was that Jesus was the Son of God who came to fulfill the Old Testament and God's salvation plan. So in this instance, they do not see it, but it will still happen. Judgment is upon us now. So think about this and ask yourself, what is preventing you from interpreting the time? How can we make the same mistake as those Jesus was speaking to? How can we miss what is right in front of us? Maybe we allow what is right in front of us to be buried under the multitude of other things in our life, the endless temporary distractions that come across our way. And maybe we want to ignore the message of the gospel because to hear and do something about it would actually change our lives and how we live. So if God's judgment is upon us, then it requires a response and we need to get right with him now. Look at verses 57 to 59 again. And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge. And the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer put you in prison, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. So this parable illustrates that we need to settle with our accuser. If you had been accused of a crime, and I hope nobody has, but on the way to face your sentencing, you were given the chance to make right to avoid the punishment of what you deserved. Why would you not listen? Why wouldn't you try to settle? Why would you not try to get right with your accuser? And if we don't see the need to resolve our debt, is it because we think we haven't done anything wrong? That we actually have no debt to be paid? Is it that we think we do not deserve the sentence that we have been told awaits us? And just to say that the message of this illustration is not that once you're in prison, you will be able to get back out again, that you will be able to pay your way back out. What it means is that we will be held accountable. There will be a sentence for every sin we commit. In verse 59, Jesus says, I tell you, he is addressing us as individuals and he's playing with us lest we have to pay our debt to God. So up to this point, we have seen that in Jesus, God's judgment has come. It is divisive. It is upon us and it requires a response. So then how do we respond? How do we pay our debt? And what is it that's asked of us? Chapter 13, verses one to five. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. 
Are those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So here Jesus is referencing two incidents that demonstrate how sin may be viewed and its proportional punishment. In verse 1, the first is the Galileans who were coming to the temple, a sacred place to offer sacrifices, and they were subsequently killed at the hands of another human. Their death was cold and brutal. Yet no matter the way in which they died, the reality is that the lives of those people ended that day there and then. And then the second incident is the death of the 18 people after the tower in Siloam fell upon them. And the death of these people wasn't like the first incidents. It wasn't a deliberate murder like, um, like at the temple. It was a tragedy. Yet again, the reality is that the lives of these people also ended that day. And why were these events used by Jesus? It was to show us that their death was not the result of being worse sinners or worse offenders than us. They weren't more deserving of death than we are. The question of degree of sin is actually irrelevant. It is the presence of sin. So the question of degree of sin is irrelevant. It's the presence of sin. Who are we to compare our sins to those of another? Maybe you do not see yourself as a sinner. Maybe sin is something that is only created by religious people. It is a creation used to restrain or repress an otherwise fulfilled life. The fact is that the Galileans and the people at the Tower of Siloam were sinners and their mortality was realized. And it was realized suddenly without forewarning. They didn't wake up that morning expecting that today was the day that they would die. You do not need to believe in the God of the Bible or that Jesus was the Son of God to look at the world around you where the lives of people are suddenly, tragically and unjustly ended. The reality of death surrounds us even if you choose to be ignorant to it, even if you choose to be blinded to the obvious. From the moment of our conception, the timer starts until the day of our death and there's nothing that you can do to stop that, to pause it or rewind it. We are not immortal, despite the fact that many choose to live in ignorance of the fragility of life on earth. Jesus tells us in verses 3 and 5 that unless we repent, we will all likewise perish. But what does he mean by repent? Acts chapter three nineteen: repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Repentance is the genuine and earnest conviction that we are sinners and that because of our sin, God is grieved. Sin is against him and who he is. And with this conviction, we are drawn to confess this, to seek forgiveness, and turn away from a life of sin, walking towards and pursuing a life of holiness. And the forgiveness that we will receive is only possible because of Christ's death, which has paid our debt, which spares us from eternal judgment. So repentance is the turning away of a life of sin, and walking towards and pursuing a life of holiness. The question is, are we ready? Have we repented before our unavoidable death will occur? And for those of us who have responded to this call for repentance, remember that we are called to continually confess our sin to God, to remember the ongoing work of the blood of Christ in our lives until we are glorified with him in heaven. 1 John 1 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful 
and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we must respond in repentance, then these last verses in chapter 13, verses six to nine, will show us that it must be whilst there is still time. It must be whilst there is still time. Jesus tells the parable of the barren fig tree. This man in verse six comes to see the fig tree he owns every year to see if it has bore any fruit. And for every year, for three years, this tree is barren. It's not producing what it should be. By the end of the third year, he has had enough and requests that it be cut down. He no longer sees any use in letting this tree continue to use up the ground around it, whilst consuming nutrients and water from the trees that also surround it. If it's not producing fruit, why would you continue to let this tree grow? But the vine dresser answers him in verse 8, Sir, let it alone this year until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruits next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. So this tree has one more year, and the vine dresser is not only giving it time, but he's also going to tend to it, to nourish it, to give it opportunity and chance to finally bear fruit for its owner. The life of someone who has repented should be evidenced by its bearing of fruit. And all of this, this what, the purpose of this parable is to show us who our God is, his patience and his mercy to those of us who have not yet responded to the pressing and urgent call to repentance. 1 Timothy 1, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. And for those who believe in him for eternal life, their repentance should be evidenced by its bearing of fruit. So, to summarize, we have seen in Jesus, God's judgment has come. It's divisive. It's upon us now. It requires a response of repentance whilst there is still time. I'm very aware that the verses that we've read this morning in this message is not the easiest listen. It's pretty clear and concise. We cannot read these words and not feel the overwhelming call of urgency to respond to God's judgment. And if you're asking the question of why God's judgment on our sin is necessary, know this, that God's judgment is good because he will right all wrongs, including all the wrongs that we have partaken in. He is a perfectly just God who will not let the wrongs of this world go without punishment. So remember that these words are not my words. These words are not your words. They are the words of Jesus and they have come with his authority. And remember that they come from someone who was distressed for us for our salvation, who is longing to see us reconciled to God. Jesus came in obedience and laid down his life. He suffered a brutal and horrible death on the cross. He was immersed by God's judgment of our sin, also that we could have eternal life as sons and daughters of God. And we praise and thank God if you have already repented and turned to him. And if you have, then this passage is also calling you with an urgency to tell others of the message that Jesus has brought of the Savior who came and died for their sins. For those of you who have not, please hear Jesus' call. Please consider seriously what he is saying. Because you don't have much time. Like in the parable, it says you have a year, but you don't have much time. He is waiting for you to respond. 
but what will your response be? Let me pray for us as we finish. Heavenly Father, we come before you knowing that we deserve your judgment for our sins, but also knowing that Jesus has taken this judgment upon himself so that we do not have to, so that we can be free from penalty. Thank you for your abundant grace and mercy upon us. Father, give us hearts full of love and thankfulness for what you have done for us. Let us transform our hearts as we live each day, that we live to glorify you. In your son's name, amen. So,